We are a richly blessed people. We just concluded a few days ago a holiday, at least in this country, and many countries have a Thanksgiving holiday where you come together and you give thanks and you express to the Creator the appreciation for all the good that He has done. And we have a congregation that is richly blessed. And we are so thankful that you have chosen to be a part of our services today. If you are a member here, you know what a good group of people this is. If you are visiting with us, we encourage you to come back as often as you possibly can because you are an encouragement to us as well. Speaking of encouraging, you have done so much to help so many people. We've had a note from the Jobs this morning thanking us for the kindness that has been shown. I wanted to also share very briefly a note from our brother Bruce and sister Young. Uh, didn't have a chance to get this to brother Bill this morning. But we are here this morning. It has been a long and difficult road, it seems, Bruce and Young say. However, your cards, your gifts, your calls and letters have smoothed our path. Truly, you are God's gifts to us in this world. We treasure each and every one of you, children and young people. Your visits, videos, and especially your singing and your artwork still make us smile. Thank you, parents. We adore and cherish each one of you. May God continue to bless you, Bruce and Young. So we're thankful that Bruce and Young are here. We look forward to seeing them. We look forward to seeing others who are in the parking lot and those of you who are unable to be with us but are watching from home Thank you for being an encouragement to us in so many different ways. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. We're spending a lot of time in the Old Testament this morning. I appreciate um, our, our brother taking us back to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I don't know that I've ever heard a, uh, a Lord's Supper talk from 2 Samuel chapter 9. But that was very fitting. That was wonderful, Josh. And so thank you so much for sharing that with us. That was a wonderful uh, series of applications that you made from that old text. But Deuteronomy chapter 26 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time together today to talk about something that we often think of in New Testament terms when it comes to the subject of giving, whether that be on the first day of the week like we will do as we exit today or whether it's the giving that you do on a daily basis or on a weekly basis to help those who are less fortunate financially or those with your time or those with your talent. Uh, the fact is, is we are to be a giving people. That is uh, illustrated throughout the New Testament and it is illustrated here in Deuteronomy chapter 26. And I want to use the first two-thirds of Deuteronomy 26 as our case text today. Before we read those verses, I want us to just go back and review Deuteronomy for, Deuteronomy for just a moment. Uh, it is quickly becoming a new favorite book of mine for a number of reasons. But remember that when we use the word Deuteronomy, it's the idea of something that is second. It's that which is an addition uh, or that is a supplement. It's twice, it's second, or it's two. In fact, in Deuteronomy... Chapter 17 and verse 18, if you back up just a couple of pages, there's an interesting statement that it seems to me kind of serves as the basis 
or a thesis statement for it where it says, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. And so in many ways, this is a copy of the law. It is a reiteration of the law for a newer generation of believers prior to entering the land. We know that after the book of Deuteronomy comes the book of Joshua. And of course, the study of Joshua is one of conquest and taking over the land and settling the land where the various tribes are going to live in the new promised land. And so immediately before going into that land, you have here Moses and the other leaders, especially towards the end of the book of Deuteronomy, challenging the people to remember the things that had been taught in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Chapter 26 is, it seems to me, clearly instructional toward a time of prosperity in that new land where Moses is saying, and God through the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, great things are about to occur. And when that happens, there are things that you need to remember in terms of sacrificing yourself back to the Lord. It shall be when you come into the land which you possess as an inheritance, which God has given you as an inheritance, that you are going to possess it and dwell in it. There's the idea of new hope new horizons, new beginnings, and good things that are about to happen for the people of God. And so when we think about giving, we think about classic texts like 1 Corinthians 16. We think about 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We're going to actually reference chapter 8 one more time uh, based on what our brother read for us a moment or so ago. But I want us to use Deuteronomy 26, and I want us to ask what happens when I give? When I give of my means, when I give of my time, when I give of my talents to help others, when I'm the one who's on the floor putting together a bed for a brother or sister in Christ so that they don't have to do it themselves, when I'm the one who is sacrificing my time and my back by moving boxes from one place to another and then asking, where does this box go? Some of you who are just moved recently understand that that's what it's like to go through that process, but you have sacrificed your time for others. What happens when we get, let me suggest five things in Deuteronomy 26 that I, and the key word is I, that I do when I give. Number one, I confess that God cares for me. Whenever you give, when you write a check, when you spend your time taking someone to a doctor's office, when you pick up someone from the doctor's office, when you engage in giving in some way or another, you are confessing that God cares for me. Read with me, if you would, as we progress through the text this morning, piece by piece. And I want to read the first three verses. It shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground. This is where the first fruits concept is being uh, referenced by the Holy Spirit. He says, you shall take some of those first fruits, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days. So you're going to go to the religious leader and say, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers 
to give us. Notice the words, you and your, because this is indeed a personal thing. When you give of your money, when you give of your time, when you give of your talent, whenever you sacrifice in some way, it is a truly personal thing. I mean, if you're the one that's writing the check, that's no skin off my nose. If it's you that spends three hours at a doctor's office with a brother or a sister in Christ giving them a ride, that's your time, not my time. And so it is a deeply personal thing when we give. It's deeply personal when we choose to sacrifice for others or for the cause of Jesus Christ. I love the New King James Version, but I wanted to give a shout out to a couple of other versions where he says, I declare to you today that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Those of you who are reading from the King James Version have the word profess. Those of you may be referencing the CSB, the idea of acknowledging. Literally, you are bringing to light or announcing. Now, this is not an announcing in a pompous way where I'm saying, hey, look at what I am giving. We are not the Pharisees who sound the trumpets before our good deeds, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and want others to know. We don't happen to write our check and leave it open and have others see it so that they can praise us for the high amount that we give. We don't advertise the good that we do. In fact, we are uh, in the New Testament taught not to allow our left hand to know what our right hand is doing, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 3. But when we give to God, we are making a declaration that we are confessing God cares for me. I know that God cares for me because in giving something away, we are saying that God will provide. Go back to the book of Genesis as we've been studying in our Wednesday night class. And you remember where Abraham said Jehovah Jireh, the idea that the Lord will provide. That even if I give my son, I know that we, he says, we will come back and see you again. And so we are confessing when we give of our means, when we give of our time, when we give of our talent, we are confessing that God cares for us. And so when you write the check, when you get in your wallet, get dig in your purse, when you make that contribution, when you invest your time this week, you are confessing that God cares for you. Number two, when we give, we are admitting that we are helpless without God. We are acknowledging and admitting that without God, we are absolutely nothing. How do I know that? Well, let's go two more verses deeper into the text. Verse four, then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a nation great, mighty, and populous. Now, we're familiar with Genesis 42, 43, and 44, which we're going to reference here in just a moment. But if you would, go back and remember the desperation that was associated and the helplessness that was seen in the words of Jacob. 
Remember what happened all the way back in Genesis chapter 42? Because that's what he's talking about here, at least it seems to me, as he's talking about my father going down to Egypt, few in number, and then they arose and they became this great nation. But in Genesis 42, when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us that we may live and not die. This was a matter of life and death for Jacob and for his children, as we'll be studying in about two weeks in our Wednesday night Bible study. See, if you would, then chapter 43 in verse 1, where the story continues, where it says, the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. After all, it's a matter of life and death. But Judah speaks up and he says, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother Benjamin, of course we know to be Benjamin, is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? There's so many different wonderful things here in the Genesis text that uh, if you're not here on our Wednesday night classes, I encourage you to go to our website or to come to our Wednesday night classes to be uh, talking about this. But it's interesting that Jacob here is desperate. He is helpless. He is hopeless without God on his side. So that when we give to God, as this man does in verse 5, we're saying, just as Jacob, my forefather, gave, so I am giving. And just as he depended on God, so am I depending on God. And it reminds me of Isaiah chapter, not Isaiah, but the book of John. We're going to get to Isaiah here in just a minute. But it reminds me so much of the, of the statement made in John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, in verse 5, in the latter part, there's a statement that is made that you are likely familiar with. But in John 15 and verse 5, there the text records, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And then notice, for without me, you can do nothing. Without God, we are nothing. We, when we give, whether it be of our means or of our time or of our talent, we are acknowledging that I'm helpless without you, God. The text that I was referencing just a moment or so ago that I wanted to spend just a second or two thinking about is in Isaiah chapter 64 because it is a rich text that we recently studied. But I want us to read it as if we're reading it for the first time, these four verses beginning in verse 6 of Isaiah 64, where there the prophet says, We are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls in your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are potter. And all we are the work of your hand. Do not be furious, O Lord, nor remember iniquity forever. Indeed, please look, we are all your people. 
Isaiah is saying long before the idea of the first day contribution was going to be instituted 700 to 800 years later. And many years after this first fruit sacrifice of Deuteronomy chapter 26, he was acknowledging that without you, God, I am hopeless and I am helpless. When you give, you are admitting I'm nothing without you. Number three, when you give and when I give, I am thanking God for salvation. I am thanking God for deliverance. Again, let's continue in Deuteronomy 26, this time in verse 6. But the Egyptians mistreated us. They afflicted us and they laid hard bondage on us. Again, notice the us. Notice the personal nature of what the, uh, Moses is trying to get these people to appreciate. We cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs and wonders. He has brought us to the place, has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits. Here it is. I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O Lord, have given me. I'm bringing what you have given. Notice the terminology there. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. Notice all the different words that are used by the Holy Spirit to describe what these people had endured, what, the, what they had endured. It's not just a matter of uh, an academic look at what they had endured. It's what we have endured. We've been mistreated. We've been put in bondage. We were afflicted, hard labor, and we have been oppressed. How do we know that? We know that because we're familiar with the Exodus story, are we not? All the way back in Exodus chapter 1, if you were like, wait a minute, what's he talking about here? You would go back to chapter 1, and in verse 8, it says that a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph and consequently did not know the people that had been of the lineage of Joseph. And he said, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict, there's the word, to afflict them with their burdens and built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, there's the word again, the more that the people multiplied and grew and they were the dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, is what the New King James says. Some versions say serve with harshness. There is a clear New Testament principle, principle for this as well. In Galatians chapter 5, as Paul was writing to the church at Galatia, he says in Galatians chapter 5 on that particular occasion, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. And then later in the New Testament, in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 4, John writes, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. The fact is, is God delivers us. And when we give of our means, when we give of our time, when we give of our talent, we are saying, God, I trust you. I am helpless without you. I know that you care for me. 
and I know that you are the one who delivered me from bondage. So think about these people who had lived, some of whom in the time of the Exodus or had been familiar with that story because of what their parents and grandparents had experienced. And now God comes to them and says, what I want you to do is remembering what you've gone through, remembering how helpless you were without me, remember the deliverance that I brought you in the book of Exodus, and I've now given you this new land to conquer. There's a fourth thing that we do when we give, and that is we rejoice over the option, over the opportunity, and over the great uh, privilege of helping others. Again, we go back to Deuteronomy 26. Here we pick up in verse 11. In Deuteronomy 26 and verse 11, so you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you in your house and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded. I love the fact that he starts there in verse 11 by saying, you shall rejoice in every good thing. And in fact, you and I are to rejoice when we give. In fact, we are taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that we are not to give grudgingly, not in the sense of this is an obligation. What a horrible thing. You know, if I was to list all the different acts of worship, the different things that we do together, my least favorite is giving because that requires me to give up my money. That's the attitude that we don't want, right? That's the attitude that he's saying, don't have that attitude. Have an attitude of rejoicing in being able to help and being able to help others. Furthermore, you shall rejoice is not just a suggestion but it is a commandment. Well, let me share with you two passages very quickly here, and then we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, because I want to make a quick observation about 2 Corinthians chapter 8. One of those passages is in Romans chapter 5 in verse 3. In Romans chapter 5, Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome who are certainly in a, a challenging situation, and he says, not only that, but... We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, and hope that does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in the hearts of the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Furthermore, we are very familiar with Philippians 4 and verse 4, where Paul writes to these Philippians, even from prison, from a place where rejoicing is not a key part of the uh, way of life, and he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But if you would, for just a moment, note the particular nature of rejoicing that is important to note, that this was clearly the attitude of the Macedonian saints. We're not going to go back and reread those seven verses, 
I had our brother read verses 1 through 7. And did you notice that verse 1 starts with the concept of grace and verse 7 ends with the notion of grace? That as God has been gracious to us, so were the Macedonian saints, so were those early first century saints, so are we in the 21st century to have an attitude of rejoicing when we give. And again, a study on this nature would be incomplete without at least a cursory reference to the words of the apostle who would write to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9 and say that we are to be a people who rejoice in giving and rejoice in being good to others and in doing good for others. Let me suggest a fifth thing, and one that I think is one of my favorite points of the entire sermon this morning. And that is, finally, when we give, we seek God for future blessings. Again, go back to Deuteronomy 26, and now read the last verse of this paragraph. In Deuteronomy 26, in verse 15, look down from your holy habitation from heaven, And bless your people Israel and the land which you have given to us, just as you swore to your fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, if you only read that verse without reading the preceding 14 verses, you may say, well, that's kind of an interesting verse. I get the concept. We're asking God to bless us. But the previous 14 verses, and particularly the previous three to four verses, was all about what I'm going to give of mine to the fatherless, to the widows, to the Levites, to those who are homeless. And now, verse 15, I am asking God in giving of what I am am choosing to uh, sacrifice, I'm asking him to look down and to bless me richly with a land that flows with milk and honey. Trusting the Lord is a key part to our giving. Now, we have to be careful Because this is where those who teach the prosperity gospel take another step. And what I mean by that simply is this. That some will teach that the more that you give, the more that you are going to be blessed. Now that is true with a caveat. It is not true that the more that you give financially, the more that you are going to be blessed financially necessarily. God may choose to work in that particular vein. But you can see where this is fraught with all kinds of opportunity for misteaching, especially if you're the one who is the recipient of that giving. Hey, the more you give, the more you're going to be blessed. If you choose to give $10, some TV preacher will say $100 will be coming your way sometime in the next few weeks. Well, that is taught in, not the Bible, that is taught in man's concepts where someone has perverted the gospel nature But we do need to appreciate Luke chapter 6 and verse 38 as what is taught there, because that is the truth. And in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, among other places where Jesus is teaching, probably in this sermon uh, on on the mountaintop, uh, parallel text, he says, Give and it will be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, It'll be measured back to you. It may be in ways that are different than you suppose, but all of us who have given of our money, all of us who have given of our time, all of us who have used our talents for the benefits of others, we understand that it's one of those things that you say, you know what? 
That was good for me to do. It was right for me to do that. Note, if you would, there in Deuteronomy 26, verse 15, that Moses records a request of God, bless your people. And notice that this, verse 15, happened after the preceding 14 verses where the offerings were made. So I think we have to understand that when we are giving to God, whether that be when you drop your check or your cash in the basket today, whether you take someone to the store or buy groceries for them so that they can have that provided for them this week or the next week, whatever it is that you're doing or that you're going to do that so many people are doing quietly behind the scenes without any sort of broadcasting, that you do so knowing that God will bless you. God will take care of you. We need to appreciate that this means something to me as well. And let me conclude with this. The three things that I think that we should do, three things that I want to do, and the three things that I challenge you to do this week, three things that I will do. Number one, I will trust God and share with others my faith in him as I know that he will provide. That includes sharing of your time, your talent, and your treasure. Be willing to do that. Be willing to share with others, not just those things, but also the message of faith that you have, knowing that he will bless you accordingly and that he will provide for you. Secondly, I will actively seek opportunities to do good for others, including, but not limited, but including financially. There are so many opportunities that we have in this congregation to help those who are less fortunate. And this is a time of year that people seem to be talking a lot more about generosity and giving. Let's make sure that we not only participate in that, but that we are generous throughout the entire year in the way that we conduct ourselves and live for his cause. And thirdly, I will thank God for his rich blessings. And I will always thank him. God richly blessed these people in Deuteronomy chapter 26. And God has richly blessed us as well. And as we have heard from families that appreciate the help that we have provided to them, as we hear from individuals who are struggling and who are dealing with difficulties privately or publicly, we are in the business of helping others. That's something that we want to do because it means so much to me. What happens when I give is that it means a lot to me and it means a lot to others. And most importantly, it means a lot to our Lord. If you are here and you maybe have lost sight of the giving that we are to be a part of, we want to help you to uh, reinvigorate that sense of generosity. We are surrounded by people who are generous. Allow that to influence you for good. And the most generous thing that you can do is not giving of your means. It is not giving to help someone else. It is giving yourself to God by being baptized to have those sins washed away. And in doing so, saying, I'll serve him forever. If we can help you to make that decision, if you're pondering becoming a Christian, if you're giving that some thought and you'd like for us to work with you, 
we're happy to do so. We will study with you and answer your questions at any time, anywhere. We are always ready to assist you to become a Christian by being baptized this morning, having repented of your sins and confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. If, however, you are a Christian and you're not living correctly, maybe you're not as generous as you need to be. Maybe you're not as giving as you need to be. Maybe you're not as sacrificial as you need to be. Maybe you're just not living correctly in some way that no one else knows about. Seek God in prayer for his forgiveness, and he has promised in 1 John chapter 1 to forgive you of those sins. If we can help you in that process or pray with you publicly on this occasion today, we would welcome that opportunity. Let us know while together we stand and while we sing.